Hey, so I'm looking for some advice on a church to join here for me and my family. How would you respond? Ex yeah, exactly. A woman named Christine posted the question on Nextdoor, a neighborhood website. I assume if Christine asked you that question, you would say, hey, come to St. Paul in Sherwood. There were over 120 responses to Christine's post within 24 hours. The first one was by a gentleman in Beaverton who says, what denomination? If you're looking for someplace all-inclusive, you could try the Beaverton Unitarian Church. I don't know if Unitarianism is what Christine was out looking for. Another man says, try them all out until you know what's right for you. Well, that would take years. <laughs> Just about everyone who responded to Christine was promoting their church. How friendly their church is and how they have a great program for kids. Oh, and there's an Easter egg hunt coming up at their church. Only one person. One person out of over a hundred made mention of belief or faith. It was from a woman in Beaverton who says, find out what the church's statement is and if your belief goes along with that. And then she recommended Bethlehem and Aloha Lutheran churches. And that's good, yeah. I hope Christine and her family visit our two sister churches up north. I don't know, maybe it's because I'm a pastor, but I couldn't help but notice the lack of advice regarding the importance of a church's teachings and beliefs in these responses to Christine's question. It seemed the overall assumption, since she mentioned she had a family, was that she was interested in a kid-friendly church. Well, that's important. I mean, you wouldn't want to visit a church and have the people staring angrily at your children, now would you? What the people believe at a church is important too. Take, for instance, the person of Jesus of Nazareth. What do people believe about him? Well, depending on what church you go to, answers may vary. <clears throat> but popular opinion often has Jesus painted as a rustic folk hero traveling from town to town, talking peace, love, and acceptance with farmers and fishermen. But how many churches really take Jesus as a serious theologian? After all, he is the creator of the universe and everything in it. He walked on the earth for a brief time, building up people's faith in their hearts and minds. We've got to believe that he knows something that he's talking about when he's talking about the kingdom of God, right? He teaches people through parables. That's how he did a lot of his discourse with people, from which the original people who heard them drew faith from them. By the time Martin Luther came around, however, the parables of Jesus had become more of a source of Christian ethics, you know, teaching people moral standards of behavior. And the parables are still used that way today by Christians everywhere. Now, ethics are important. But today, I'd like to visit this parable of the great banquet in Luke 14 in a manner the original hearers would have, would have done. They would have drawn faith from it. Let's unlock the metaphor of the great banquet and not just use it as a delivery method for a moral teaching, but as a house 
where we are invited by Jesus to take up residence. In that way, maybe we can examine ourselves as 21st century Christians as we look through the windows of this house the parable creates. Are you ready to do that? Sure, okay. <laughs> okay, then here's how I want you to start. I want you to picture in your mind, imagine a dinner party. A dinner party. Dinner party conversations. That's, what this is, that's what's going on here in this text. We've all had people over for dinner. But have you ever, ever held a dinner party? Okay, I'm talking about the kind of dinner party associated with the elite of society and the well-to-do. Now, you know the kind I'm talking about now? You know, where the host invites a trendy new author or artist or a political speaker to come and be the guest of honor. And all the host's rich friends are invited to dine. And then after dinner, everyone moves into another room where the guest will give a talk by the fireplace over sherry and brandy. This is how Charles Darwin and Karl Marx were able to get their ideas out into the public through dinner parties. These guys were dirt-poor philosophers. But the rich intelligentsia wanted them to be their guests so that their exciting new ideas would make stimulating conversation. And they, as the hosts, would be the talk of the town among their elite friends and their status in society would be maintained. This is the kind of dinner party that's going on in this reading from Luke. The traveling mystic, Jesus, passes through a village in Galilee. Everyone's talking about him. The Jewish leaders in that area invite him to be their guest at a dinner party. And their plan, their agenda, is to recline at the table with him, eat, and converse over his political and theological viewpoints. They expect that he's going to say nice things about them because they're so observant. They're, they're righteous Jews, observant of the laws of Moses and all of that. Well, Jesus doesn't do that. Imagine you put together a lavish dinner party and arranged the guests, seen, seen to all of the details, and your guest of honor proceeds to tell you how to put on a dinner party. Wouldn't that just tick you off a little bit? Jesus advises his gracious hosts to put on dinners for people who can't pay back the favor of hosting them at a nice dinner. It's better to invite those who have no money, no means to host such a generous meal in the comfort of a lavish home. And someone at the table responds to Jesus and says, Blessed is everyone who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Well, no kidding, right? The question is, who are the blessed that will be eating that bread? This is a 700-year-old conversation that Jesus is having with these guys. Because Isaiah, 700 years earlier, talked about the great banquet at the end of time. The banquet where God, at the top of his holy mountain, will lay out a feast of food and drink fit for kings. These guys around the table see themselves, their wives perhaps, and their closest family members as the only ones who are worthy of attending God's banquet at the end of time. 
to them. No one else in the whole world will be admitted because they are outside the Jewish faith and do not hold to the ideals of Moses and the commandments. And they're not born into the family of God, the chosen family. So, the guy who leans back at the table and spouts off this, blessed is everyone who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God, well, he's referring to himself. Isaiah's picture of the great banquet had become unpopular among the Jews by the time Jesus shows up because the idea of Gentile people from the east and the west reclining at God's table was just not something they were willing to accept. The message that God was a God for all peoples of the earth had become lost among the Jews. So here's what Jesus speaks into this little problem of these men's self-righteousness. A man sets up a great banquet at his his home and invites his friends. He's figured out exactly how many are coming and butchers the right amount of his animals for the meat, chops the right amount of vegetables from his garden, buys the right amount of wine for everyone. Everything is set up nice and ready. All the guests come over and hang out in the living room, snacking on hors d'oeuvres and cocktails. But when the host comes in and announces that the food is ready at the main table, and it's time to move into the dining room and have a seat, everyone begins to make excuses and head for the door. One man says, "Uh, hey, I just bought some property today, and uh, I I need to go inspect it make sure it's okay. Please excuse me. The other friend says, "Uh, hey, sorry, man, Uh, I just bought a new truck, and I need to drive it around for a few hours and and break in the engine. Uh, will Will you excuse me? And the third friend doesn't even ask to be excused. He just says, uh, hey, man, I just got married, and uh, there's something better I could be doing tonight than uh, having dinner here. How would it make you feel if you were the host? Notice the excuses are all baloney. They're not legit. They're ridiculous excuses. These guests, these friends, are offering these baloney excuses for no other reason than to insult, despise, offend, and discredit the host because in actuality, they hate him. So, what's the host's reaction in this parable? He's angry, isn't he? What will he do with his anger, though? Will he retaliate? Will he deface the one man's property, you know, damage the other one's new truck, discredit the other guy's wife or something? No, this master of the house will create a new and unprecedented option in Middle Eastern society, which was all about getting even with those who insult you. He's going to turn his anger into grace. He orders his assistant to go out to the streets and gather, the other, and gather some other guests, poor people, crippled ones, outcasts, the very kinds of people the hosts of this dinner that this story is being told at would never invite because outcasts are not invited to the heavenly banquet. But the story isn't done yet. As time goes on and these new guests arrive and take their seats, the host sees that there's There's still room for more. There's some empty seats. 
So he sends the assistant back out to go beyond their village to the roads and hedges where he'll find more people. In reality, the food would all get cold by this time, right? But go find complete strangers, people who are way out of any groups or norms of, Jew of Jewish societies, passers-by from other lands, you know, other nations, other languages, other cultures, maybe people who have other gods. Bring them in. Imagine one of these people's reaction when the messenger of a nobleman comes to them out of nowhere and invites them to a nobleman's house for dinner. What do you think their reaction would be? <laughs> Eat, right? Oh, how wonderful. We've been waiting for this opportunity, you know, forever. Probably not. They would be, it would be more like total disbelief. Confusion. A nobleman really wants me at his house? Impossible. Who am I to him anyway? I'm nothing. This must be some kind of mistake, or worse, a very not funny prank. The messenger, you see, is going to need some, some special way to convince the invited guests that they are indeed wanted. In fact, the master of the house knows this might be an issue, so he's told his assistant, grab him by the arm if you have to, and drag them in here. Convince them by any means that they are welcome here. Because I'm telling you, none of those friends I invited earlier are ever going to dine at my home again. Don't you see, this isn't a moral teaching about the proper Christian way to hold a dinner or, or even how to treat the outsider or the outcast of society. Jesus places himself as the master host at the center of this parable. Not you and me. As he begins his long walk uphill to die on the cross in Jerusalem, he's very much concerned about the people who will be welcomed to his holy mountain and the offerings of the great banquet on the last day. He's calling to all people to participate with him in the banquet of forgiveness of sin and everlasting life. The excuses people offer for refusing his invitation are insulting and unacceptable to him. Yet his anger won't be, re, uh, it's not going to be directed at retaliation. People who have, will refuse the invitation, they've already condemned themselves and have received their reward. Notice though, that Paul and the other apostles fulfill the assistance role in this parable. Paul and his friends go beyond the land of the Jews and out into the Gentile lands with the message of reconciliation with God, with the God of truth and hope. And they're going to need some extra special help from the Holy Spirit because people are going to be hard to convince. People are going to respond with, what, God is for me? God is a person I can know and have a relationship with? In fact, Paul would have a very tough time convincing anyone in Athens about the authenticity of Jesus and his invitation to accept grace. And he'll shake the dust off his feet and move on to head towards Rome. But even to this day, someone has to take the good news of the open banquet to outcasts within and beyond the community of believers. That's the mission of the church. And it's the task we all have within our vocations, our jobs, our lives together as 
Husbands, wives, sons, daughters, teachers, students, single people, retired, whatever. Whatever God has us doing at the moment. The invitation to the banquet is without limit and still includes Israel. Those who hear the invitation either accept or reject it and stand aloof. You don't participate in the banquet by standing outside, off at a distance. Those who refuse cut cut themselves off from the fellowship of the host and his guests. They choose not to taste the banquet feast to their own demise. Well, there you have it, my friends. While we're still residing in the house of this parable, there's another window we can look out and see Jesus through. It has to do with the pain and anguish of the master who invited his friends and who was hated and publicly humiliated by them. Have you ever been rejected in this way? Maybe it wasn't a dinner you were putting on for your friends, but have you ever believed someone was your friend and it turned out they really hated you and, and did something to humiliate you to show it? I remember how it felt. So does Jesus. He felt that kind of pain and more. He came to save an entire people, a people he had chosen to be a light to the world, yet they hated him and publicly despised him. How painful that must have felt, especially on the cross. I want to thank Kenneth Bailey, who in his book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, gave me a lot of insight into this parable from a non-Western cultural perspective. So let's keep the feast, my friends. The banquet we have here is but a foretaste of the one Isaiah writes about and the one Jesus fulfilled. May we all stay in the house of this parable a little bit longer, perhaps to the end of the day, and draw more faith from it.